Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. We're kicking off another week where we get a chance to talk about the things that matter most. Coming up today, the second hour of today's program, Father Mitch Pakwa will be joining me. He has uh, finally uh, completed and published his study of the book of Isaiah. It's an in-depth look at what you might call the gospel of the Old Testament. Isaiah is is one of those uh, books that is fundamental to attaining a deeper knowledge of our faith. And uh, uh, Father Mitch has made a great contribution here. Uh, You know, most of us don't spend our time gauging, uh, you know, what's the... What's the most cited Old Testament book in the New Testament? Well, it happens to be Psalms, but uh, after that, we've got Isaiah. Uh, You know, you take a look at Isaiah, and it is, uh, again, it's a massive book. And there's lots of questions about its origins. We're going to go over that with uh, Father Mitch Pacwa. Coming up in the second hour of today's program. Also coming up, uh, we're going to be talking to a representative from St. Germain Catholic School in St. Clair Shores. The news is that uh, due to financial difficulties, they plan to close the school by the end of this school year. Uh, but parents... And others in the school community have banded together. There's a, a, a groundswell of support for the school, wanting to save it. We're going to talk to Nicole Patton. She's got all the details, and we'll talk about uh, the fundraising effort to save St. Germain Catholic School in St. Clair Shores. In March 2020, we were broadcasting from the Called and Co-Responsible Conference at Notre Dame. Peter and Drastek was there, and um, a statement by Father Michael Sweeney resonated with him. As a church, we have no imagination for lay agency. Well, the church certainly has been trying to emphasize the co-responsibility of the laity. We're going to ask Peter, uh, how's it going? First, however, let's get today's headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News. For Monday, February 26, it's the Feast of St. Paula of St. Joseph Akalasans. Today's news is brought to you by Visiting Angels, providing loving care and assistance for seniors in need. Visitingangels.com. Sweden has cleared the final hurdle to join NATO. Hungary's parliament voted today to ratify the Nordic country's bid after two years of negotiations. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban initially objected to Sweden joining NATO, but dropped his objections last year. Finland is also working on a bid to join the alliance. The U.S. Supreme Court is deciding the legality of a Texas law that bans social media companies from blocking users based on viewpoint. 
Aaron Nielsen is the state's Solicitor General. If platforms that passively host the speech of billions of people are themselves the speakers and can discriminate, there will be no public square to speak of. The Texas law passed in 2021 after social media companies banned former President Trump. The companies today argued that laws limiting how they operate violate their First Amendment right to free speech. They compared themselves to newspapers and argued that they should have the right to make editorial decisions. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley held a campaign rally in Michigan ahead of tomorrow's presidential primary in the state. She laid out what she calls her track record of success as governor before Metro Detroit voters. We announced jobs in every county in the state. We passed tort reform. We passed pension reform. We cut taxes. We built up our coffers. We paid down our debt. She lost her own state to former President Donald Trump Saturday, but has vowed not to end her campaign. Haley is the last Republican opponent for Trump as he seeks a rematch of the 2020 election that he lost to President Joe Biden. And the Federal Trade Commission is suing to block the merger of grocery chains Kroger's and Albertsons. The FTC alleging the deal would create higher prices for consumers. From your Ave Maria Radio Dad News Desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon. I'm at Al Cresta. Last month, the parents of St. Germain Catholic School in St. Clair Shores received some distressing news. Due to financial difficulties, the school would be closing uh, their doors at the end of the school year. There is a groundswell of support, though. Uh, we've got parents and others in the school community that are now banding together with an effort to save the school. My guest is Nicole Patton, a parent. Uh, at St. Germain Catholic School, and uh, she's assisting the marketing committee to save the school. You can learn more at St. Saint Germain, G-E-R-M-A-I-N-E dot org. Nicole, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk about this. Um, when did you learn that the school was in trouble? Um, at the end of January, we were told, we were um, sent a letter that said that this would be the last academic school year um, for the children at St. Germain. And, and why is that? They cited a deficit of $150,000 um, as the reason that they had decided to close the school. Mm-hmm. Now, does the school receive any support from the archdiocese itself? That I don't know. I do know that, um, as with most Catholic schools, there was um, some what of a, a donation, not a donation, but um, they were being supplemented from the church somewhat. Yeah. Okay. Now, I don't know the amount of dollars or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so the you tell me what you're trying how how much you're trying to raise and how this is going to solve the problem sure so we ended up meeting with the archdiocese a father of one of the children at the school decided to go put together a plan because none of us want this to be the last school year mm-hmm. so he put together a very sound financial plan that he reviewed with our diocese, and we were given the go-ahead to try to put the plan in action. So what that plan is is $150,000 worth of donations, $150,000 worth of pledges, and 150 students. Okay. As to date, we have raised $288,000. 
we um, only have until March 1st. So we are really, really working hard to reach all of these goals. Um, right now, we are accepting donations and pledges both in person and on our website, which is uh, that you said at the beginning of this conversation, stgermain.org. There is a tab that says, how can I help? And all the information on both pledging and donations is on that tab. Well, you've done you've done a great job so far at two hundred eighty-eight thousand dollars. Yes, that's really to be commended. So you're almost there. Uh, yes. So let's uh, let's see if we can get uh, see if we can get that done in the next day or so. Yes, uh, we have till March first, and the community has just been amazing. They have really come out and rallied, um, as you stated. It's just been an amazing outpour of love and support from our community, and we've really, really appreciated it. Yeah, I can see. I can see why. How many students are currently enrolled? I believe 160, something like that, okay. um, some, around 160, and most of our students will be returning. I mean, obviously, we would lose the eighth grade regardless, um, and then, you know, there's always situations where a few people leave here and there throughout the school year, but we have a very, very strong base of students that will be remaining. Mm -hmm. We have done a couple of open houses, and we had a really, really great turnout. Some people have already registered new students um, for the upcoming school year. So we are just encouraging people to come in to check our school out. We have already done two open houses, so we don't have another one um, scheduled, but we are doing shadow days, or if you would like to tour the school, if you just want to get in touch with the front office, we would be happy to do that for anybody that's interesting, um, interested in that. I would like to say, too, I forgot to mention when we were talking about donation and pledges, that we have a fish fry every Friday, and that is a great time to come get some of our delicious fish, which yeah. I know I'm partial, but it is great fish. <laughs> but we will have a table outside that day also for donation and pledges um, for anybody who is interested in, in donating. Well, let's uh, let's again urge people to uh, learn more and to support uh, the school. Yes, you, it sounds like you're already pretty close to the the um, the student uh, number that you need. You need 150 well, students, right? But, uh, however, the thing is, is that our ultimate goal. This is not a short-term goal for us. This is a long-term goal. Right now, we're sprinting towards March 1st. You know, we have to hit all these different benchmarks. But once we do hit them, and I believe very strongly that we are going to, once we do hit them, we have a longer-term plan where we are trying to increase our enrollment enough to just have the school be completely self-sustained so that we don't have to do any kind of, you know, really – great efforts and fundraising. I mean, you're always going to have fundraising yeah. to, to run a school, and specifically a Catholic school. But our, our major goal is to increase enrollment so that our school is self-sustaining. And so, I, you know, I my children, I have four children. They all go to school there. They are. It's just such a beautiful school. The community that we have built and the families, it's, it's truly something. Well, it's the reason that we didn't want to get just let the school go, to sure. tell you the truth. No. It's very rare what we have built at this school. And so we're truly help, hoping that people will come, tour the school, and feel the way that we feel about it. I could tell you that we, at the open house on Saturday, we, we walked a student through, and um, when he got in the car with his parents, he turned and said, I want to go to that school. <laughs> and that was just from the open house. Very we nice. Have 
our teachers have over 90 years combined of teaching just at St. Germain, not teachers' experience, just teaching at St. Germain. So it's a really beautiful school, and we're hoping that other people see it as well and will continue to support our efforts. Well, it's, it's very clear that what you accomplished there uh, speaks well of how people value the school. And, oh, uh, yeah. So the best way for people to follow this story and to contribute would be go to stgermain.org. That's stgermain.org. That's the best uh, contact? Yes. All right. Yes, it is. Um, Can I just say one more thing? You certainly can. We have a um, fundraiser tonight at the Modern Cone on Harper in St. Clair Shores, and they are... um, from the hours of 3.30 to 8 p.m., they are donating 30% of all their proceeds will go towards St. Germain. Whoa. So that's a wonderful way to treat the kids and still give back to the give, community. Give us, so uh, we would really appreciate that. Give us that, those facts again. Yes, Modern Cone. It's on Harper. It's the ice cream place in St. Clair Shores. And from 3.30 to 8, they will be giving 30% of their proceeds to St. Germain. Okay. Well, Nicole, once again, thanks so much, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing uh, you victorious in this. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Nicole Patton is a parent at St. Germain Catholic School in St. Clair Shores. They're racing uh, to meet their goal by the end of this week. So, again, uh, just want to follow up on this. Go stgermain.org. Let me switch gears here. We've got a few minutes left uh, in this uh, in this segment, but it, it amazes me to see pundits and journalists discredit themselves because they simply don't know some basic facts about our history, U.S. history. Uh, last week we had a gaffe, which I don't know if it deserves contempt or pity. Heidi Prisbella, who's Politico's national investigative correspondent, was attempting to explain how this movement called Christian nationalism is dangerous and now in control of the Republican Party, and they are Trump zealots. Um, Set aside the question of Christian nationalism for a moment. I want you to hear what Heidi thinks threatens our democracy and way of life. I've talked with a lot of experts on this, and I've seen it myself with my reporting, Michael, which is that the base of the Republican Party has shifted, right? Remember when Trump ran in 2016, a lot of the mainline evangelicals wanted mm-hmm. nothing to do with the divorced, uh, you know, real estate mogul who right. had cheated on his wife and with a porn star and all of that, right? So what happened was he was surrounded by this more extremist element. You're going to hear words like Christian nationalism, like the new apostolic reformation. These are groups that you should get very, uh, very schooled on because they have a lot of power in Trump's circle. And the one thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, Mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. The problem with that is that they are determining, man, 
men, mm -hmm. there it is, yeah. men, yeah. are determining what God is telling them. And in the past, that so-called natural law is, you know, it's a pillar of Catholicism, for, mm -hmm. Catholicism, for instance. It's been used for good in social justice campaigns. Right. Martin Luther King evoked it in talking about civil rights. But now you have an extremist element of conservative Christians who say that this applies specifically to issues including abortion, gay marriage, and it's going much further than that, as you see, for instance, with the ruling in Alabama right. this week, that judge is connected to that dominionist uh, faction mm -hmm. in talking about um, a lot of other issues, including surrogacy, IVF, uh, you know, sex education in schools. It, it, there's a lot in addition. There's a lot of fogginess there. But I'll play uh, just one short comment that she made. Uh, I didn't want to be accused of taking her out of context. Let's go back and listen to the most striking error, the thing she's most worried about. They believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's, that's what it says in the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Our rights are grounded in the fact that we are created in God's image and likeness. Um, <laughs> that's the understanding of the Declaration of Independence. It's not a cult. It's part of American civics. Very basic stuff. The fact that uh, a woman who serves as a national investigative correspondent for a major news outlet didn't know that the Declaration of Independence is responsible for us having our rights grounded in God is sad. Buying a home is a huge milestone for your family, but when you need a home loan, it's hard to know who to trust. Alliance Catholic Credit Union not only shares your values, but it was founded specifically to serve Catholics in the state of Michigan. For your home financing, choose an organization that supports the local Catholic community. Special offer on new mortgages through March 31st. 3% down with no PMI. Save money up front and in your monthly payment. Get started today at AllianceCatholic.com. Federally insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. No one should ever have to choose between feeding their family and keeping their heat on. Impossible questions like rent or diapers demand answers every day. Likely in your very own neighborhood. But you can help. Hope Clinic partners with you to provide free medical, dental, food, and behavioral health care, all in Jesus' name. While others face impossible choices, your choice is an easy one. Partner with Hope Clinic today. Find out how at www.thehopeclinic.org. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. The question of gender identity is divisive, controversial, and often painful. How should parents respond to sons and daughters desiring to change their gender? Will the church remain free to teach that we are created male and female? What do the sciences say? We'll find out on March 2nd when Father Gabriel Richard High and Ave Maria Radio host our annual Familiaris Consortio Conference, Responding to Gender Dysphoria in Truth and Charity. Attorney John Bursch takes on gender ideology, 
Professor of Endocrinology, Dr. Paul Cruz, covers the sciences. Father Sean Kilcauley speaks as a pastor, and you will bring plenty of questions for our panel. Be there Saturday morning, March 2nd, from 8.15 until noon at Father Gable Richard High in Ann Arbor. The event is free, includes a light breakfast, so register at AveMariaRadio.net or FGRHS.org. What exactly is Holy Orders? According to the Catholic Catechism, it is the sacrament through which the mission entrusted by Christ to his apostles continues to be exercised in the Church until the end of time. It is thus the sacrament of apostolic ministry. It includes the episcopate, the presbyteriate, and the diaconate. In the Old Covenant, God's chosen people were constituted by him as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But within the Israelites, God chose the tribe of Levi for liturgical service. God himself is its inheritance. The Levites were appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. This priesthood, however, was powerless to bring about definitive sanctification, which could only be achieved by the sacrifice of Christ. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Ever thought you'd make a bungle by trading in or selling your used vehicle only to find out it's worth a dinner for two? Well, it's much more valuable to donate your vehicle to Ave Maria Radio. Thousands of Americans donate their vehicle each year. The donation to Ave Maria is easy, tax-deductible, and supports our efforts to evangelize. A year from now, will you remember that dinner or your gracious and selfless donation? Go to AveMariaRadio.net to find out more. That's AveMariaRadio.net. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. In March of 2020, we were broadcasting from the Called and Co-Responsible Conference at Notre Dame, and my guest, uh, Peter Androstic, was there, um, and he responded to a statement by Father Michael Sweeney, uh, and this is the statement, As a church, we have no imagination for lay agency. As a church, we have no imagination for lay agency. Well, we're going to enter our conversation looking at what that statement means. Peter lives in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, with his wife and seven children. He holds a master's in theology from Ave Maria University and is a senior consultant for the Evangelical Catholic. You can learn more at evangelicalcatholic.org. Peter, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. What does that phrase mean, the church lacks an imagination for lay agency? 
Well, um, so first of all, I think it's helpful to understand what he means by agency. Typically, when we say that someone has agency, that means that they have the ability to, to have an effect on something. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think what he means, what I took it to mean, is that um, we, our imagination for, for the lay faithful is to just kind of be involved in parish life. Um, and we don't have a sense for what it, what it looks like uh, for, for a lay Catholic to live in the middle of the world, to sanctify the world, to sanctify themselves in the middle of the world, and, and to evangelize. So it's one thing to understand that conceptually, which I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of church workers do, a lot of pastoral workers understand that conceptually. But there's a difference between understanding something conceptually and having an imagination for it where you could like describe it in concrete terms what something looks like. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's what he means. That's, that's, that's how it clicked for me um, when I heard that statement. There, was, there were years of church work that, <laughs> there's like a Holy Spirit moment, there's like years of church work that just like blew up in my mind. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> Would that there were more moments like that, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, very good. Uh, you, you are involved, I mean... Your organization has grown from advising four ministries in 2012 to almost 120 today. So you are very much aware of the explosion of lay apostolates uh, around, yeah. you know, over this last generation. It's truly remarkable. And, yeah, um, and so you're also aware that um, parishes and dioceses, are missing, you know, it's great to have all these apostolates out there, but parishes and dioceses are missing a key component to accomplishing the Great Commission that all these groups are rising up to participate in. And that is, as you write, an integral understanding of the relationship between holiness and apostolate. Mm-hmm. Tell me what that means. Yeah, so... Um I think, I don't know if anyone would say this <laughs> explicitly, but I think we operate in a way that thinks that all you need to do is kind of train people up and you can set them loose and they're going to evangelize. Mm-hmm. So, you know, parishes and dioceses offer, you know, weekend long trainings on evangelization, testimony training, charisma, all of these things, which are great, which are wonderful. But then what oftentimes happens is after that event, and the event can, the events oftentimes produce like an initial conversion. It produces some inspiration, some initial zeal. But then after the event is over, some people will, will you know, the, the, the event moved the needle and they'll, they'll, they'll do something, but a lot of people will just kind of stagnate and they won't, they'll, they'll get kind of lost and they'll get, they'll get, they'll encounter all sorts of hiccups along the way. And um, the importance here is to understand that holiness and apostolate, holiness and evangelization, are really one and the same thing. And if we understand that, we'll know that we can't simply train someone up and expect that they're going to be fruitful, and now the parish is going to be changed after, after a, a four-week series or after a ten-week series. Um, it takes ongoing formation. I, I would say it like this. 
um, since holiness and evangelization are really one and the same reality, we, we distinguish them conceptually, so we can talk about them and give formation mm-hmm. proper to them. But since they're one reality, you can say that evangelization really is a fruit of personal conversion. And like any kind of conversion, that needs to, that needs to develop into ongoing conversion. Initial conversion always has to develop into ongoing conversion. And so that, that takes a, a total like reordering of the way we think there needs to be. So in other words, the, the golden question in ministry is, then what, right? So you have an evangelization training, and let's say it's awesome. Let's say a ton of people have a conversion experience and move the needle in everyone's hearts. The question is, then what? How are we going to catch these people on the other side and help them to, to be creative with how they're reaching out to the people in their circles of influence and their workplaces and their neighbors and their peers? Is that, did I answer the question? Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, it seems to me that the, the linkage here is that holiness is about reflecting the divine life of Christ, and evangelization is about sharing the divine life of Christ. There's leakage. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's leakage here. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> So yeah, that's good. I, I like that image. Um, but but uh, and I think this this makes a tremendous amount of sense because you, I love the way you put them together. They can't really you can distinguish them, but you can't really separate them. I mean, real evangelization is about sharing uh, the, the gospel, the good news mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. God accomplished in the first century. And something happened then, something's happening now, something's going to happen in the future, and we're all part of it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we don't just have our own, quote, devotional time as one separate thing, and then we have our liturgical experience as another separate thing, and then we have our share groups as another separate thing, and then we have you know, proclamation as another separate thing. Right. These are all related to sharing the life of Christ that's been right. communicated to us. Right. We have to develop a unity of life, and that requires a lot of accompaniment and formation. Yeah. And yeah. Um, in that in that unity of life, really, it's that holiness that holiness radiates forth from our life. And so, because really, because love is one, right? It, um, even I think it's in uh, I think the first letter of John. You know, he says, you know, how can you love how can you love God whom you don't know if you don't love your brother who yeah. you do know? Yeah, excellent. Yeah, that's that's really a compelling statement and really calls us to a deep, uh, much deeper understanding uh, than I think most of us live with regularly. Yeah. Um, so, um, is this? Are you encouraged by what you see going on uh, in the United States among uh, Catholics? I mean, this explosion of apostolates um, and the the profusion of excellent catechetical materials looks great. Um, is is it accomplishing what we think it should accomplish? You know, I am encouraged by it. Um, I, you know, if I think. You know, 25 years ago, there wasn't a quarter of the apostolates and the approaches yep. that are out there now. And that's, 
that's really indicative of just the fruit of the Spirit. I think we're also gradually getting better in our approach with these things. Um, like anything, you know, um, you know, you, you kind of build the plane while it's in the air. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of you know movement of the Holy Spirit, and people are responding, and so they 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 have great ingenuity and, and great initiative, and they create something, and then they they do it, which is which is what they should, you know, whatever apostolate it is, and then they learn from that, and then they perfect it gradually. I mean, even even the evangelical Catholic over the years, we've 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 really adjusted and refined our approach. Um, and, and so I, I think we're, I think as a whole, we're on the right track for sure. And it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, let's, you, in the article, by the way, I I don't think I mentioned this, but, uh, your article in Church Life Journal, the need for deprofessionalizing evangelization, I'm drawing much from that as we, as we speak. And, uh, you know, many times, uh, People certainly embrace all that the Catholic Church teaches and affirms, um, but they're not quite sure what to do with it. So, uh, tell me, because you're you in the article here, you deal with this. Help us understand the role of the Trinity in all this. The role of the Trinity. The Trinity. Yeah. That's the essential reality of our faith, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think where the, where the Trinity comes in is, you know, at our baptism, we're immersed into the, as baptism means, immersion, right? We're immersed into the mystery of God. And the Holy Spirit floods our soul, that water of life floods our soul and configures us to the image of Jesus. In the Catechism, number 521 in the Catechism says that that we are called only to become one with Him, and we're to accomplish the stages of Jesus' life and ours, and to perfect and extend and, and, and prolong His mysteries. Mm-hmm. And so, really, when we think of this, I mean, there's a sense in which, not a sense, it, it is the reality that we're all called, by virtue of our baptism, be, to become mystics, <laughs> To become to to live ever fully immersed in that mystery, yeah. and evangelization, apostolate, is really a mystical activity, and because because it it's it has its root in our divine filiation. You know, our, we're we're called only to become one with Him, to have the same thoughts and desires and. and uh, as Jesus. Peter, hold it there. We'll have to take a break and come back and pick it up with this idea of having, uh, really, we need to become one with him. My guest, uh, (coughs) Peter Andrastic, is sharing with us some of the thought in his article, The Need for Deprofessionalizing Evangelization. Today's programming on 990 WTEO is brought to you in part by Gift from Our Day Sponsor. The annual Rose Mass for Catholic Healthcare Workers celebrated by Bishop Boyer will be at 4.30 p.m. Saturday, March 9th at St. Thomas in Ann Arbor, followed by a reception in the Parish Hall. Karen Bussey, Director of the Mother Teresa House, will speak on redemptive suffering. Suggested free will donation is $20. RSVP at cmalansing at gmail.com. That's cmalansing at gmail.com.
Every woman deserves specialized health care. At Arbor Women Health, our team of compassionate professionals listen to our patients and want to understand what they're going through. They serve everyone from teen girls to seniors. Our faith-based clinicians specialize in obstetrics, gynecology, fertility awareness and crisis, or unexpected pregnancies. Call 734-930-4020 or visit arborwomenhealth.org. Arbor Woman, faith-inspired, dignity-affirming health care. Catholic Charities of Shiawassee and Genesee Counties have been providing health and creating hope since 1941. It's the generosity of donors that allows them to provide necessary services, such as their warming center, which provides refuge and comfort to thousands in our community. They also offer hot meals in their soup kitchens and help families make ends meet in their community closet. Even the smallest donation makes a meaningful difference. Join us in their mission by giving a donation at catholiccharitiesflint.org. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. Maybe you've even prayed the prayer of spiritual communion. Spiritual communion is a concept that goes all the way back to the 4th century. It flourished in the Eastern Church and gradually moved west. Spiritual communion stresses the transcendence of God, where we unite our desires, intentions, and loves with the holy sacrifice of the Mass and the consecration of the Eucharist at the altar. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. Family life is a ministry. We tend to think of ministry as the churchy stuff we do at church, but the word ministry means doing any activity that communicates God's love to another person. When we help our family love and worship God every day at home, we're doing ministry. When our families cherish each other with Christ's love, we're doing ministry. When our family is kind to others, or when we invite others to our home for godly fun and fellowship, or when we try to attend to each other's needs generously and cheerfully, we're doing ministry by doing things that share God's love with others. The ministry of domestic church life is among the most important ministries of all. And discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life. Check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at stanthonyservices.org or 877-LIFE-US1. Resetting your password, unsubscribing from emails, printing anything. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with an auto owner's insurance independent agent, getting the right coverage for your business doesn't have to be one of them. So you can get back to more important things, like learning how that printer works. That's simple human sense. Call Choice Insurance Agency at 734-641-4200. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Peter Yandrostic. Uh He's done some wonderful work uh, for Church Life Journal, and we've been looking at 
his article, The Need for Deprofessionalizing Evangelization. Now, he's a senior consultant for the Evangelical Catholic and consults with all kinds of uh, apostolates and those who are fulfilling the Great Commission, the work of evangelization. And so we are talking earlier about the relationship between holiness and evangelization. And he writes... Holiness may be simply understood as the fullness of the Christian life. Uh, Christian life is the life of Christ communicated to us. The sacraments, initially baptism, and most profoundly the Eucharist, divinize us, mystically configuring us to the second person of the Trinity, making us sharers in the divine nature. Becoming sharers in the divine nature, we mysteriously become sons in the Son, Christ himself, it is not I who live, St. Paul says, but Christ who lives in me. And we're talking just before the break about this need to become one with Christ. When I, when I want to become one with Christ, what am I desiring? What is it that I want to see? Well, so when I was in grad school, I had a professor who said, this, this just seared into my memory. He said in, in rather um, uh, jarring language, he said, Jesus had, was obsessed with two things, just utterly obsessed with only two things. They, they, they informed and they were the motive for everything he did. His relationship with his Father and your salvation. Hmm. And that just it just stuck with me. And so when I think of becoming one with with Christ, when I think of this this living out of this divine filiation and kind of gradually growing into Him and and really um, uh, taking on as His personality <laughs> while yeah. at the same time fulfilling my own, I think of you know He's obsessed. You know, I, I, lately I've been praying about just what I've, I'm calling like the mystery of self-forgetfulness. You know, like when Jesus prayed, what did he pray about? You know, he, he talked with his father and he was, and he, he was, there, there was, the, there was this, the theological Trinity was at work, right? God within himself. But then, then the, the economic Trinity, how the Trinity like uh, unfolds and, and, and reveals himself to, to the world. Um, you know, Jesus was obsessed with, with the details of everyone's life, with your life, with my life, um, with the people who he was hanging out with. Um, and and the, the combination of those two things, his, his, his relationship with his Father and the Holy Spirit, and, and your salvation and mine, that like, dictated everything he did and everything he didn't do. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, you know, I think the only way to, 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 to really enter into that is, is to, to, through regular, consistent prayer and reception of the Eucharist and mental prayer and, and including, including our friends and our coworkers in our mental prayer, like lists of people and praying about them and praying for them. And, um, you know, that, yeah. that, yeah, I mean, that, you know, just, I'm listening to you and I'm saying to myself, those two, uh, those two, uh, obsessions, as you say, of Jesus, uh, his relationship with his father, and 
his commitment to our salvation, if my becoming one with him re, you know, means adopting or letting those two priorities rule my life, then that means there are a lot of things I'm not going to do. Yeah. Because they may not be bad in and of themselves, but they're not necessarily serving uh, this enhancement of my relationship with my father uh, or enabling me to be more um, attentive to and effective in sharing in the salvation of others. Mm-hmm. So I would think that would be one of the first things that would come to mind for me is just to go over and see what I'm doing all day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a good examination of conscience. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, when when you have, uh, when you're doing consultation with these evangelization groups and these apostolates that come in, what's a common, what's a common problem that they share? Um, well, at the Evangelical Catholic, we primarily consult with parishes. Oh, okay. Um, and, and we have relationships with other apostolates. We do. We, we have relationships and, and some partnerships, but the advising is primarily with parishes, with also some campus ministries, and we do some diocesan work as well. Um, but I would say that the common, really, the, the common difficulty is lacking an imagination for the lay vocation and the lay mission. What, what does that look like? And if you can't imagine what that looks like, you can't give formation for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, the next stage is once you, start, once you start doing that, once you start forming people in a way that's calibrated, once you start forming Joe Catholic <laughs> in a way that's calibrated to his life, it helps him to live the way of discipleship, the way of Catholic life. And you start doing that with with more and more people, that starts to grind up against the pastoral structures that we've inherited in our parishes, which are primarily based on religious ed for kids and kind of a town square environment for adults. Um, and so, so then, the, the, facing the, the the current pastoral structures is like the next big challenge. Because those aren't typically calibrated for, for, for today, for kind of like a, a, a post-Christian, you know, apost- kind of a new apostolic age. Right, right. Primarily with adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, we really, we're at the end of Christendom, so mm-hmm. we've got a new apostolic age that we're in, um, and we're having to learn. Um, it's not, not, in a way, we're in a worse position, I think, than um, the first generation of Christians were. Uh, they they went to a world with a message that the world hadn't heard before. It was fresh, and they were wooing the world. Now, we're in the position of, um, well, kind of like in a divorce. Uh, and, and the world thinks they know us only too well. Um, yep. they've, they've heard it all before, and, uh, you know, we have to win back uh, a divorced party. And yes. I think that's much more difficult. Yes, way more difficult. And I think 
that in, in, in typical parish life, now there's always exceptions, but in, in typical parish life, that connection hasn't been made yet. And so people, you know, oftentimes will try to run programs and events that are more like bobber fishing, you know, like rather than going and putting out into deep water, right? And try to attract people into the parish. And there's this assumption that like, well, if it's attractive enough and relevant sounding enough, people will come. But the reality is that's not in the vast majority of places. That's not the case anymore. Hmm. So we have to, have to form people, individuals to be, to be Christ himself to their circle of influence, wherever they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in your experience, if I, if I could just, if I could just, uh, yes, go ahead. Like one little, like oftentimes we talk about parishes being, you know, we want to make parishes centers of evangelization. Um, the, the, the trick with that language is that if we try to talk about parishes as vibrant centers of evangelization, we, we think that evangelization happens primarily on the parish's turf. Yeah. And so, and because words are connected to our imagination, right? Which, and then that informs our reality. But rather, I think we need to focus on making our parishes centers of apostolic formation for the laity. Mm-hmm. Because evangelization is best done on their turf, right. not on the turf of the parish. So th- 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 that's very good. I love that. Um, so a lot of evangelization is actually going to take place in people's homes. Like 99% of it is going to take place <laughs> in their homes, workplaces, at the gym, yeah. the ball field, wherever they are. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. So the parish is there for you know apostolic formation. Yeah. Um, and then... W- we basically take this proclamation um, and share it uh, mm-hmm. wherever we are. And um, how many? Well, just a, I'm curious. How many? What percentage of priests? On would you say get what you just said? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, boy, this is pure conjecture. I would say, conceptually, many, if not most, do. Okay. Very good. But, but again, I think there's a difference between understanding something conceptually and imagining what that could look like, like in the concrete, living, mm-hmm. living it out in the world. I think that number is a lot, lot lower. Okay. Uh, that's, that's, that's a, I, I couldn't give it a percentage, but I would say a minority. Okay. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Let me switch gears here, uh, because you write that St. Francis and St. Rose of Lima are great saints, but they're not always helpful examples of lived holiness for the rest of us. <laughs> what do <Yeah>. you mean? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, you know, the the... the the bulk of our examples of holiness are um, those of consecrated religious and clergy, and that, right. that's great. The, the saints, the saints are, um, you could say, infallible examples of holiness. And right. why are they infallible? Because they're canonized. <laughs> you know, like it's, <laughs> um, it, 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 it's true. However, their states in life were different. Their vocations were different. 
And so they're not going to translate readily um, into the life of, 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 a, of a lay Catholic, of an ordinary Christian. So, for mm-hmm. example, Rose of Lima um, is often, you know, an example of great modesty. You know, she cut her hair real short and she rubbed hot peppers all over her face to disfigure her so that she wouldn't be so attractive because she was a beautiful, beautiful woman. Well, like, what does what does a wife do with that? <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. A wife who's supposed to look attractive to her husband, or vice versa, a husband. You know, like, what's he supposed to do with that? Or, you know, the saints. A lot of the saints who just, just gave away everything. Saint Francis, you know, ripped his clothes off and gave away everything and to to rebuild the church. And that's beautiful and wonderful. And we need um, the example, not only the example, but we need the. The, the, the apostolic holiness of religious that's proper to them. We need that. But what, what is, what's a lawyer supposed to do with that? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or someone who, you know, has to keep track of their accomplishments so that they can ask for a raise because they just had their ace kid, yeah. you know, and they got to make ends meet, you know, like, so we, I think we have to work hard either, you know, either finding more, because uh, there are canonized lay saints where you, you got to work hard at, at kind of unearthing those stories. Mm-hmm. Or, I think, and <laughs> I think uh, pastoral workers need to work hard at, like, understanding how some of those virtues translate into a secular life. Because mm-hmm. the laity do have a secular character. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we are, it does seem as though... The, the church is more interested in finding uh, lay saints. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. In recent years, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much. Pardon? (laughs) Since John Paul II. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Praise God. Thank you so much. Wonderful being with you, Peter. I really appreciate your work. I hope we can talk again in the near future. Thank you so much. Peter Androstic, uh, we'll have these two articles available for you in the Krista Guest Archives. Uh, they're from Church Life Journal. And um, I tell you, this is, this is the kind of thinking that really changes the church's understanding of its mission. Glass Doctor. Our trained specialists are experts at fixing foggy and cracked glass, leaving any residential window looking like new without replacing the entire window. Bring back the view of any window with Glass Doctor. Visit glassdoctor.com to request a free estimate on repairing your foggy or cracked windows. Let Glass Doctor bring back your view. Call the Glass Doctor, we'll fix your paint. Oh, yeah! The Heart of the Interior Life with Elizabeth Jingle. In the seventh rule of St. Ignatius of Loyola's 14 Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, St. Ignatius writes, Let one who is in desolation consider how the Lord has left him in trial in his natural powers. In the seventh rule, St. Ignatius invites us to utilize the God-given gifts, the natural powers of our mind, will, memory, and imagination to assist us when we are undergoing the trial of spiritual desolation. Father Timothy Gallagher writes, Persons in spiritual desolation feel no assistance or presence of the Lord with them. They feel, rather, that all that remains in them is the use of their natural powers, their ability to think, to choose, to call certain truths to mind, to envisage spiritual realities, and all the human powers 
given to them by the Creator. How might you utilize the gift of these natural powers? For more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and His gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Let me remind you again, this coming Saturday, March 2nd, 8.15 in the morning till 12 noon, we're hosting our annual Familiaris Consortio Conference uh, with Father Gabriel Rouchard High School. The topic is a blockbuster. Male and female, he created them, responding to gender dysphoria in truth and charity. going to be a light breakfast there at the beginning. So come on by, no charge. We've got great communicators, great speakers. And so that's this Saturday... 8.15 till 12 noon, male and female, he created them, responding to gender dysphoria in truth and charity. I'm Al Creston. 